Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. We're all about the stories that make the Asian tech ecosystem so exciting, so dynamic. And here to share her story with us today, we have a serial entrepreneur, co-founder of Impact Tech, Kinneret Karin. She describes herself as a serial entrepreneur who's sold two businesses already in Singapore. So we're going to talk about that journey as well. She originally hails from Israel, relocated to Singapore a few years ago. We're going to find out a little bit more about that. Probably one of her biggest accomplishments as well, which I think we have to throw into the story because it just shows you how much of a challenge it is for somebody like her. She's also the mum of two teenage girls. So we're going to talk about that and being an entrepreneur and the challenges facing. We're specific to being a female entrepreneur as well. But before we go there, Kinneret Karin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. Well, there's, there's a lot on your plate. You're very busy. We had Yoav Elgritchi on the show yesterday. You work with Yoav on Impact Tech. We talked a lot about how accelerators work. That was very insightful. So we've got a good heads up on you know what an accelerator is, what you're doing in social tech as well. So we'll talk a little bit about that. What I'm really interested in today is your story as well, because I find that quite inspiring what you've achieved, Kinneret, in you know, you. not just in Singapore, but you know, where you've come from as well. So let's start at the top. What is, I mean, I know I said, for example, that you have two teenage girls, so that must just keep you busy alone. But on top of that, you're also running an accelerated program, plus you have a number of different projects on the go as well. Can you give us a little bit of an insight of what your day is like? Uh, yeah, when you say it, it sounds, wow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my day, I wake up early. I'm a morning person. Um, I go, I have an office. Uh, you know, I, I don't have, when I read all the stories of all these big CEOs, so I don't wake up at four, read emails. I just, I have me. I have meetings. Uh, I have uh, um I, I need work time, so quiet time, so I have a lot of uh, free hours that I uh, make to myself. Uh, uh, I come home in the afternoon, I'll be with the family, with the girls, uh, my, my husband joins at one point, and then I work again in the evenings. I like the quiet times when, you know, everybody's sleeping and I'm just working. Mm. Um, I travel uh, quite often, uh, but not very long, like three days. That's like three, four days, depends where to. Uh, and I do a lot of sports and I think that helps a lot. Uh, I like to do extreme sports. I run a lot, like long distance, and it makes me think. And then I come back home and I have all these ideas and all these things that I need to do. And uh, so what I like that. What kind of distances do you run? Oh, I do marathons. So right. every, everything to marathons. So I, I now signed up for the Tokyo Marathon and I'm waiting to be, uh, because it's, um, it's a draw. So I hope I will get the lucky draw. So. Well, it's not like you're not busy enough already. It sounds interesting that you've actually consciously designed your schedule. You know, you haven't, as you say, you read these stories of these CEOs who wake up at four in the morning and they pretty much work 20 hours a day, maybe get three or four hours of sleep. But you, you're, you know, you've sort of gone the other way. You, you've made time to do the stuff that's important. And also in that middle of the day, you say you come home and you spend time with the family as well. That's a luxury that a lot of founders and CEOs would 
die for. I mean, that's sort of where they're trying to get to in their life, right? How, how did you go about doing that? Because I can't imagine that you're not busy. So how have you consciously made that lifestyle where you can make time for what's important for you? That's why I'm a, I, that's why I'm a boss of myself, so I would have that time. Because I used to... So I, I, I'm from Israel originally, uh, but as a child, I grew up uh, also... Uh, lived in many other countries, but I'm in, uh, I'm from Israel and, uh, we came to Singapore nine years ago. Uh, my husband works for HP. Um, so I had a job, I had a corporate job. I worked in a, a pharmaceutical company and I hated the hours, the office hours, hated it. Uh, never really related to working, uh, office hours. Um, and being a mom, uh, I woke up, I, arrived at work at six and left at three um, every day uh, so I could be with a girl. So being the mom was and educating is the most important thing for me and everything is around that. So when the girls were younger, of course, I would do everything to be home, take them from a kindergarten or when they were in the young age uh, from school. Uh, and now everything is also, uh, you know, need to help them, uh, you know, teenagers is uh now it's now it's getting hard the school stuff so everything is around that uh, that's how i sort of designed my life and this is what i'm used to so this is how i've been working for the last eight years uh since i decided to leave the corporate world and do my own thing okay we'll talk about your experience in growing and exiting businesses in Singapore in a minute. I'm just curious to know, you got two girls, you said they were 12 and they were 14. When, when they yes. look at mom and what you're doing, I'm curious because I've got an 11-year-old boy. Do they sort of show any signs of interest in being an entrepreneur? Do they have any kind of that? I'm just curious to know. Oh, yeah, 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 very much. <laughs> when they look at you, uh, I mean, you know, maybe they don't think of it as being an entrepreneur, but they just sort of see mom doing something and they say, okay, right, I can do this. What sort of things go on? Uh, yeah, well, I definitely see. And uh, so first of all, they like to be very busy like I do. I, I like to be very busy to do many things in parallel, uh, always a sport. So I never really relax. I never really rest. Uh, I'm like my father. My father is the same thing. Um, so I think it's something that runs in our DNA. Um, and uh, my girls, I know they they have these entrepreneurial things because they tell me things that they, uh, they, they do in school, that they initiated, uh, that they want to initiate, or things that they plan to do. So uh, they have that in them. Uh, and I know that they look up to me and I know that they're proud. So uh, that's the most uh, rewarding and most important thing. Hmm. And I want to be a good example for my girls. Uh, although I'm like a Jewish mom and I do want them to be a doctor and a lawyer, <laughs> but uh, you want a yeah. safe right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, at this point, when they grow up, I don't know. But as as long as they're happy, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, how much they absorb just by looking at parents, and you, you don't yes. necessarily have to sit down and tell them they need to do this or they should do this or this is a good idea. They just, as they say, the three rules of parenting are example, example, example. And just what yeah. you're doing sets that example for them. So let's talk about how you got into that. You moved to Singapore and mm -hmm. you had a corporate life, but you then switched at some point to do your own thing. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Uh, yes, so I had a, a job when I came to Singapore. Uh, I worked uh, in a pharmaceutical company, 
and uh, I worked with a Singapore office. So when I came to Singapore, I already had a job, which was good. But uh, the culture was different, and I always had that, I would say, entrepreneurial spirit in me. I always wanted to do something, uh, but I wasn't really sure what and how and how to exactly start. And I'm very good in executing, so if someone tells me to do something, immediately it's done. Um, and I'm very good in, I would say, project management to make sure everything works and perfect. But I'm not the very, I would say, idea person. I can't just wake up in the morning and say, okay, I want to do this. But I, I know I can. Um, and then I just, uh, I'm from Israel, Yoav is from Israel. I met Yoav here in Singapore. And I started to complain that I really want to do something, but I don't know what. And uh, he just threw this idea. And I said, oh, wow, it sounds interesting. It was a restaurant and dining portal. And um, I started uh, working on that, on the restaurant and dining portal. And uh, because in Singapore at that time, there was only one website, which was terrible. And um, after two months, the whole business model failed and uh, had to, but of course, I would never give up. I never give up on anything. If I have a goal, I, I, go, I go for it. Uh, so... Uh, decided to pivot and change and do a food delivery company in Singapore. Uh, and Yoav was, he became my, my business partner uh, because he saw that I'm not just talking, I'm really doing, and he wants to be part of this. So uh, opened the Singapore Dine, which was uh, running for six years in Singapore, uh, food delivery, and we sold it to Food Panda, uh, which is part of Rocket Internet. And... Uh, that sort of uh, showed me that I can do anything because I had no background in, I would say, logistics or operations or, uh, or managing 40 uh, riders and having a call center and dealing with restaurant owners and so many, so many things uh, that I had to do. And I was, I was like managing practically everything. Um, so uh, it showed me that I can do anything. Uh, it gave me a lot of confidence. Along the way, I opened a consulting company uh, to help people understand that they can do anything um, and had started another company, uh, which was a, a dating application dedicated for the Apple Watch uh, mm. and uh, also sold that uh, about three years ago um, to a traditional dating agency here in Singapore that wanted to be more a part of a I would say technology, um, and uh, so that's a very high level of my journey. Uh, but when I now when I speak to you, I understand that I always I always have goals. Uh, I think I stick to ninety five percent of them, and the five percent which I don't reach, it's because uh, I'm dependent on other parties, and sometimes I can't really overcome some obstacles. But if I have a goal, I always try and I always uh, make it. Um, I have, I guess I have these uh, uh, things in me that not a lot of people have, but I really try to empower other people to go for it and help them and um, just do it and don't just wait and don't be afraid. And uh, uh, eventually, if you believe in yourself, you will succeed. So I, I try to tell that to my friends that want to do something or to the startups that uh, are under the accelerator that 
no matter what, you can reach the sky. Okay. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute, about you know what you're doing, helping other startups as well. And it's a, it's a very long journey, so there's so much that we need to talk about. Let's back up a little bit. When okay. the whole thing started, you, you mentioned you had this corporate life. You mm-hmm. met Yoav. You had this idea. You started with this idea of Singapore Dine, which started out as a portal, a food portal, because there wasn't really anything of substance in Singapore at the time. You mm-hmm. tried that. It didn't work out. You pivoted. You then became a food delivery service. Yes. Before that happened, when you actually started Singapore Dine, were you still working at the time? Did you have? Yes. A... Right. Okay. So how, how was that working? Were you doing it your evenings, weekends, and so on? Yeah. Uh, I was working full time and on the side. And of course, you know, during work hours, uh, when everybody goes for lunch, you stay at work and, you know, do your things. Uh, and because uh, uh, I'm telling you all my secrets here, uh, because, you know, I speak Hebrew, so it was very easy to speak on the phone with, you know, uh, in Hebrew, so people don't understand what I'm doing. And yeah, uh, but yeah, I always find time. Um I even at work. So I, first of all, I finish my work, and if I know I have some things, so I come earlier. I, I plan everything so I will have time. And uh, yeah, if I have, if I'm working, then I'm working. And during uh, Singapore Dine, uh, also in terms of uh, you know your bootstrapping, bootstrapping, and then living in Singapore, it's an expensive country. I had to, uh, you know, I would say the cash flow with uh, my personal cash flow was a bit. Uh, low, so I had to go back to work. So I was looking for a job very uh, fast. I found a, a job in a very large um, biotech, American biotech company here in Singapore. I was doing, a, was working uh, for them for a year and a half as a project manager and still running Singapore Dine in parallel. But my boss knew. He knew that I had a company. I was very upfront. I was very I told him and he knew about it. He was very, uh, he he previously worked with Israelis, so he respected the Israeli and how we work and how we think very much. And he said, he's okay as long as the work, as long as I do my work, uh, then he has no problem that I have to leave here and there. Or, you so know, he was cool would, with that. That's, he that's was in- very cool, very mm. cool. And But because I was very upfront from day one. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure for, startup founders when they start their business to jump feet first into the deep end you know quit their job and day one start their business and there's no cash flow there's no money coming in but there's a couple of things going on in your story the first one is is the first instance you were working and then running your side project in your lunchtime and you know at weekends and so on and then you know when the cash flow became a challenge you then went back to the working world, but still continued your business. I wonder if any sort of entrepreneurs would do that, whether they think going back to the working world would be a failure with their startup. I mean, how do you advise startups now facing that situation? You know, that they have a job, they have a safe income, they have a mortgage, they have a family, but they want to do this startup thing. What are the, what's the safest way or the best way to do this? I always tell everybody that uh, if they can keep their job, keep your job and work, you you know, we have 24 hours a day. So if it's very important for you, you will find the time. Work hours is eight hours or nine hours. 
and you can still uh, keep your job, work full time and still work on your startup. Once, of course, you raise enough money or once you feel comfortable leaving your job, then sure, go for it. But at the beginning or until you feel financially comfortable, do not leave your job. Right. It's very challenging. And yeah, um, uh, and when you have a family and when, yeah, it's, it's hard. Uh, for Singapore startups, a lot of the startups here are young startups in terms of age. Um, and they get a lot of, they live with their parents, uh, they get a grant from the government, so they can, this, they, they can work on their startup 100%. But I feel that startups or people that worked in corporate and have this overview of what it is like to work in a big company with so many stakeholders and departments and the political issues in, in the company, uh, they're much more mature and they're, much, I would say their road to success is much faster. Uh, when you have this overview of life and mm. what the real life is, uh, I think uh, uh, I think it helps a lot. Uh, you know, the young uh, startups in the U.S. like Snapchat or, or even Facebook that, you know, they never really worked. They were very lucky. But you don't hear these stories every day. Um, it's once in a million. So Yeah. Well, if we look at the media... The, the sort the the kind of image of a startup founder that we see is the young guy, and it's usually always guys coming out of Stanford University, yes. wearing <laughs> a pair of shorts, and he's twenty one years old. He's done a well, he's maybe twenty years old. He's done a computer science degree, and he walks straight out of Stanford into an accelerator program. Walks out of the accelerator program, gets funded. He's never worked in his life. And now he's, you know, sitting on a, uh, you know, a ten million, fifty million dollar startup. So that's the kind of image in the media. But what yeah. you're saying is that, you know, when you look around, the people in your know, you find that the people who are older with more experience, and especially people who understand how corporates work, they seem to fare better in startups. They seem to have more success rate. Would would you then advise a younger startup founder? Uh, that they should go into the, the working world and get experience before they start a startup? I mean, how does that work with you? Uh, I, I can't tell someone go to work and work in your startup, but I think uh, having, um, when you work with in a big place or you live in a, like for us Israelis, we also go to the army, women also. Uh, so we're exposed for two or three years or even more to really interact with different stakeholders and do things that when you're 18 uh, that people in the rest of the world don't really do and it matures you really, really fast. Uh, I think that part of the maturity uh, lacks for young uh, startups uh, or young, young people in age. Uh, so I would, I can't send everybody to the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, uh, but I can I do recommend, I think it's better that you work, uh, you can have your startup, but you also need to understand how life really works in the, I would say, working world. Mm. Uh, I think it's, I feel that, that startups that came, that come to us that have this experience are much more mature in, in the way they think, uh, the way they interact with others, the way, the way they, uh, they plan ahead uh, than the young ones that, you know, they just have this startup, they just started, uh, they say, I'm a CEO, I'm a leader, but they lack a lot of the 
leadership skills that come with being uh, more mature. Okay, let's talk a bit about Singapore Dine again. Where, at what point in that story did you have the confidence to quit your job and work on it full time? Was there? Did it happen in a moment or was it a gradual thing? No, it took a year, a year plus. Right. Uh, at the beginning, uh, uh, I started it and then I, um, I worked on it and... Uh, um, when I left my job, when it was, uh, I, I had to be a hundred percent, uh, it was going really well and uh, I wanted to be on top of things. Uh, I didn't want to take someone. I, I didn't feel that it's right to do. If I wanted to grow, if I wanted to succeed, I need to be the one in charge. So I decided to, uh, leave my comfortable and uh, good paid job and go for it. And uh, of course, uh, I had to have uh, my husband's support and he was very supportive. Of course, he was he's a very corporate person. So this whole entrepreneurial world is very, uh, he doesn't relate to it very much, <laughs> but he knows me. Uh, so and he was supportive and it was a decision. And uh, yeah, I I did it, and of course there were good months, bad months. It's a really roller coaster, a crazy roller coaster. Uh, but I think the idea is never to feel. Even if I failed, like you said before, I went back to work because financially I had to overcome some obstacles. But I never looked at it as failure. I looked at it as okay, this is a something that okay, we need to take care of this problem now. Let's take care of it and uh, find a solution. And I, and even if I look back and I say, oh, okay, I failed here, I failed there, but you learn from everything. So I see failure as something that you learn from, not as something bad. And this is something that we try to uh, tell our startups all the time because um, in Asia, it's uh, failure is something, it's not good. Right. <laughs> and uh, for it, us, it's It can haunt something. you for a lifetime as well in yes. some Asian countries, right? It, failure follows you around. Yes, in Singapore especially. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And how does that work? So, I mean, you tell a really interesting story about, you know, you have committed to Singapore Dine. And you've obviously had these conversations with your husband as well. Your husband is obviously from a corporate background. Even though he doesn't relate to it from his experience, he supports you in, in what he does and what you do. And you've then gone ahead and said, right, I'm going to do this. Now, you then talk about failure in Asia because I'm sort of wondering the conversations that some Asian startup founders may have be mm -hmm. may have. It may be different. So it, it may be, you know, why the hell do you want to go and start a startup? You have an education. You could be a doctor. You could be a, an accountant. You know, you could be working for GSK or whoever it may be, yes. you know, <laughs> some really reputable company. Just go to work for them. Do your 30, 40 years and retire and then you'll be happy. So I imagine they're kind of having those conversations and you are very lucky because you're surrounded by people that supported you. Do you see those kind of conversations happening and does that frustrate you? You see an Asian founder who's like, right, I really want to do this, but the people around them. Oh, yes. But I can tell you my parents are very, uh, they're, you know, my parents are a bit traditional. They don't understand this whole uh, entrepreneur. And I always get it from them. Why don't you go back to work? Why don't you find a normal job? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Uh, but Even they now? Stop. 
Yeah, they stop, but yeah, it comes up. My mom is like, well, why do you need this? Well, why do you need this? And how, uh, how, yeah. do you, how do you justify that to them? Do you not justify it anymore? Or do you not have that conversation? Or just... No, I just tell her, oh, mom, you know. <laughs> you know how but to deal she, with her, right? Yeah, but she knows me. But yeah, but, uh, you know, for us, it's a bit different. But for Asians, it's, uh, yeah, um, I try to tell them that, you know, you need to be surrounded by people that are like you entrepreneurs or friends or people that support you and know why you're trying to do this. Uh, but of course it's, you know, it's very hard when you're not surrounded with that kind of, uh, um, I would say even the, the family has a lot of pressure here in Asia. Um, uh, it's, they, they live with a family, uh, for many, many years. Uh, for us, it's different. Uh, I come from a totally different background. Uh, when we're 18, we leave the house. Uh, we are, we go to the army. We, we get responsibilities. We command. We, we do many, many things that make us who we are and why Israel is so successful in with startups um, and many other things. Uh, here, it's so different. But we this is why we have, I think, some kind of advantage here. We really try to educate and try to change their mindset and support them. And um, we encourage them to be in, I would say, an accelerator like ours because they're surrounded by people that support them and try to help them and advise them. Also, we can always advise what to tell your parents, what to tell your friends. Uh, There's no magic here, but you can always, you know, help build their confidence in what they're doing or trying to do. Yeah, there's there's a a Jim Rohn quote. Jim Rohn, the author, said that you are the sum of the five people that you hang around with on a daily basis. And you think how important that is if you're a startup founder, if you're surrounded by people who don't get what it means to be an entrepreneur and people who have safe jobs. If they don't understand, you know, if their attitude is, you know, why risk it? Why take a chance? You know, stay safe, do the corporate thing. Even if you disagree, you end up becoming like them because you don't want to be outside the group, you know. So, I mean, especially in Asia, how powerful that peer pressure is. People want to fit in. So that pressure on entrepreneurs must be very strong. And there's, there's a personal issue there as well, which is often untalked about. It's the partners. So how important it is to have a supportive partner when you start a business even if they're not an entrepreneur, like you said, with your husband, you know, how important it is for them to support you rather than people who, you know, I'm not sure you should be doing this because ultimately that's going to end in failure, right? So I I think that's a big challenge, especially here in Asia. Okay, so let's talk about the growth of Singapore Dine. So you're at this stage where you're growing the business. Mm -hmm. And you said you you ran that business for six years. Can you tell us a little bit about how that growth went from the moment you sort of, you know, you committed to it full time, you know, the second time around and you grew that? Was it a linear path? Was it something that you had a lot of control (laughs) in or was it just go crazy? No, uh, it was, I had control, but it was crazy. (laughs) There were ups and downs, uh, of course. And uh, uh, the F&B industry in Singapore is very... uh, shaky uh, restaurants open and close so you know you have a delivery from one restaurant then suddenly it closes up and it, it was crazy and the, I would say the beginning because there was no food delivery before us here in Singapore there was only Pizza Hut and McDonald's even Domino's Pizza was not in Singapore yet so it was something very new for the restaurant owners so they didn't really know how to deal with it um, 
so it was very, very challenging. Uh, but of co- and of course, when we started, this whole online thing was just started. Uh, so we started with handing out booklets with the menus uh, nine years ago. It was eight years ago, sorry. Uh, very, very new. And then this online thing started and we started to have online deliveries. And it was very new. So people were like, wow, okay, this is interesting thing. It's very easy. Uh, so it was then we scaled up very nicely with the online. Uh, and then uh, Food Panda came to town <laughs> right. well, after a few years. Let's talk about that in a minute. Just so we understand, were you at, you weren't actually delivering your own food. You were delivering other restaurants' food or not? Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, yeah. With, uh, very regular delivery. Uh, uh, you get an order from X restaurant. You right. pick up the writer goes picks up the food. But of course, as being the owner, uh, I found myself so many evenings. We you know no writers because somehow we you know they just didn't show up, mm. and I had to do deliveries by myself. You had so to cover. I, right. Yes, uh, and I I don't have a motorbike, so I had took a taxi. Wow. Went to the restaurant and then went to deliver. And I I must say that I did get nice tips. Uh, from it's not common in Singapore to get tips, but I got some, so I was happy. Um, but did you but, learn? Yeah. Did you learn a lot about the business by doing that? Because oh, yes. I, I can imagine some yes. founders are thinking, "Hey, look, I've done an MBA. I didn't do an MBA mm. to become a, a food delivery guy, right? You know, it's not my job." I mean, people have that kind of maybe a, a little bit of an attitude. ego, right? Yes. Ego is the word, <laughs> right? But yeah. you, I think you're you're completely doing the right thing you're not only making sure the business works but you're getting a really front line on the floor view of what's going on and talking to customers yes uh so first of all yes and i'm a very egoless person i don't have ego and i always say that you always have to make your hands dirty in order to understand and i love the show that there's this reality show of the boss that uh that he like the owner of the airline, and then he um, he works with the people. So, the, but they don't know that it's him disguise, to better understand. Right? Yeah. yeah, so he, to better understand uh, what's going on, and I feel it's yeah that that's what makes uh, it successful. That you really understand everything from the writer, from the restaurant. So I was with restaurants, and I understood what's going on, how they get the order, what to change. That's the only way that you can succeed. Uh, having your degrees and papers. It, doesn't help a lot you really need to make your hands dirty in everything even creating the excel files with the numbers everything Uh, so what if i have an ma so what exactly doesn't make me especially in your that type of business where it's so much about people isn't it you know the experience that people buy that you know when you turn up or when your rider turns up and delivers the food if they're miserable you know, that can affect everything. doesn't matter how much money you spend on marketing or branding. You know, if the last person to touch the customer has an mm-hmm. attitude, then, you know, you've lost all that marketing investment in the brand and so on. But, you know, if, if that person loves people and works well with people, you know, that can go a long way. And you talk about the airline as a great example. And I think about, you know, like air stewards, how important it is for them you know, in terms of their personality and, you know, they, they are the brand effectively, not the billions they invest in these big ad campaigns, right? It's the people out yes. there. Exactly. So, did you get any kind of insight when you were doing that? I mean, any sort of stories or moments where you thought, aha, you know, when you're actually out doing that, that you, you sort of saw things maybe that you wouldn't have seen if you sat behind the, you know, the, the computer screen? 
I can write a book and it will be a bestseller <laughs> of my experience running a food delivery All company right. in Singapore. Uh, crazy stories. But Go yeah. give, us, give us a few then. We want to know because uh, we want to know what well, it's actually like. So, so that's something very funny that I always tell. Uh, at the beginning, uh, you know, you have the writers and they need to pick up the food and deliver it to the customer. And one time a writer just, you know, three, four hours, no one heard about, we don't know where he is. And, you know, we checked maybe an accident, nothing. What happened? He was hungry. So he stopped along the way to eat the food he was supposed to deliver <laughs> and just disappeared. Wow. So, you know, it's and at, at that point, you're like, what? Like, how? <laughs> What what did you think? Uh, but a lot of stories, and you know, of course, customers that call and scream because the hamburger is like this, and then, but you order that, yes, but you had to know that, oh, yeah, but yeah, and the times that I was sued by my employees, and I was, I went to the MOM, the Ministry of Manpower here. Of course, I always won, but they sue you for everything. They mm. try, they try, because you're dealing with very. Um, I would say uh, different people than you used to. Uh, it's yeah. very hardworking people, and they try, they try. So right, and, and they, th- it's easy to have that them and us mindset, isn't it, in that kind of business? Yeah. Because you know, as you say, they, they come from a different background, and may, you know they've probably done delivery jobs for other companies. You know, whether it's food or logistics or whatever. Yeah, and, and suddenly I, they get a woman right. that's telling them what to do and telling, uh, you know, men drivers what to do and be on time. And, you know, I was very harsh and and I don't think they liked it. And for them it was – but some people appreciated it very much. Well, they didn't like so, it because you're a woman telling them what to of do? Of course, right. of course. You're the woman. You tell someone what to do. <laughs> Not a lot of you? people like that. <laughs> <laughs> Did that bother you? Did that get to you? As no, a... no. I'm, I, I'm, I, like I said, I'm ego less and I right. when I have a goal and I have something I I don't care I right. was very yeah you know interesting that's fascinating so I mean that must have been a valuable experience for you but you know I, I imagine as well it must be extremely different to what you were used to when you were working in pharmaceuticals right yes it's a world <laughs> yes, it's I was, complete uh, opposite, and, no? yeah I was a manager I was you know do, doing other things <laughs> totally different things and here I'm dealing with um drivers and dealing with people that I would never dreamt of dealing with and customers that are screaming at me and but it's a rewarding uh eventually uh but it was a journey everything I learned I I always say everything I learned in life I learned in the six years of running a food delivery company even I had you know the website so I had to you know I was the one that did all the changes and everything and so many many things that I learned during um uh, being a running a food delivery company in mm. Singapore. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating, inspiring as well. That you you said it was rewarding. Eventually, we'll talk about you know what happened at the end in that story because I think listeners would be fascinating to know where that goes. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot, and I don't think it's talked about a lot as well openly, is with founders, entrepreneurs especially, is doubt. You know, um, it, it's never easy. Starting a business is never easy. And you've got to have a lot of self-belief. But you're, you're not a, you know, you're not a robot. You, you're a human being. and You're going to have doubts at some stage. Was there at a point, you know, when you're talking about the kind of stories that you're talking about, like the, the delivery driver disappears and he's eating the pizza that should be delivered to, you know, one of your best customers, all those kind of stories. And you get frustrated. Was there ever a time when you were doing that and you thought back, oh, 
you know, I came from this managerial background. I had a comfortable job. I'm doing this. And did you ever think, you know, why the hell am I doing this? Every morning, of course. <laughs> Every morning you wake up and say, why do I need this? Why do I need this? Right. <laughs> what was I thinking to myself? Uh, yes. Uh, but, um, um, but, you know, but it's, it's yours. It's mine. I built it with my own 10 fingers, with my own two hands. And I was very proud. And, um, and you know, you have these fun things that you're invited to restaurant openings. Mm. And, and when the drivers, you know, do rec, you know, they're very nice. So the, you have uh, rewards along the way. And of course, up until today, you know, f with running an accelerator, sometimes I wake up in the morning and say, why do I need this? Why do I need this? But it's mine. And I built it. And I'm very proud. And you asked about building things. You say to start is difficult. I think starting or at least from my point of view, starting is the easy part. Uh, starting is the fun part. Uh, it's new. You're very excited. Mm. The goal is to maintain it and not, uh, I would say, um, give up because starting is the fun part. That's the easiest. Then after a few months or a year, then, okay, now what? And then you have to sometimes change your direction or find different uh, things to do for revenue or whatever. But that's the hard part, to maintain and to continue and not give up. Um, and I see a lot of uh, even my friends that start something. But, you know, after a few months, uh, it's too difficult. So they give up and mm. they try something else. And the idea is to focus and finish what you started. Very true. As a marathon runner, I'm sure you appreciate that, that, you know, the hardest part is the middle part, right? You know, it's not when you started, you're full of enthusiasm and you don't give up on mile 26, do you? I mean, nobody nah. gives up with the finish line in sight. So it's the middle part that's the hardest. So let's talk about the, you know, the entrance of Food Panda. I mean, anybody in Asia will know of Food Panda and anybody yes. in the tech scene will know of them. So was that always part of the plan to exit by you being acquired by somebody like Food Panda? No, never, never thought about it. Uh, I also, along the way, before they came Food Panda, or just at the beginning when they came to Singapore, uh, I was offered a few times by various people uh, to buy uh, Singapore Dine, but I, I never, I always said no. I didn't feel it's time. I wasn't ready emotionally. Uh, it was my baby. Uh, my third child, and I wasn't ready to sell it yet. Although I had, you know, all these good days, bad days, and it, it's very challenging. Running a food delivery is is not easy. Uh, so I, but I wasn't ready. And then Food Panda came, and uh, I was very scared uh, for a few months because they, you know, they're Food Panda, Rocket Internet. They have all this money, and they were pumping marketing here in Singapore like crazy, giving out vouchers and all these discounts and. Really, everybody knew about Food Panda, but I didn't feel that anything is really happening in terms of competition. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we were two companies working. Everybody's doing their own things. And then one day, um, I got a call from their manager here in Singapore, and he wanted to meet. So, of course, we met. A very, very nice guy. We had a very, very good chemistry. And he said, listen, we have all this marketing money. We're very good at marketing and IT, but we have no idea and we, we're we not succeeding in delivering from point A to point B. We, we just, Singapore is different. And I, I knew what he was talking about because Singapore is different, although it's a small country, very, it's hard in terms of the manpower and other um, things. 
And we, after a few discussions, we decided to partner. Uh, so uh, we were doing all the operation and logistics for Food Panda, and they were keeping on the name and the marketing. And then I was, then I was more, I would say, uh, I grew up <laughs> with myself, and I understood that I, I was ready maybe to sell the company. And I thought that that could be a very good direction and worked very hard that things will work very good between us. And after, I think, about a year and a half of working together, uh, they offered to acquire us. And then we had a few discussions and was very fast because they knew us. So it was pretty easy. Right. But they had partnered with you for quite some time before they acquired you, right? So, okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So this was towards the end of 2015, is that right? So you were five years yes. into your business. 2015, yeah, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know, I mean, it's been in the press. Um, it's undisclosed financial times. I'm not going to ask you about that. I just want to know, I mean, at that point when they acquired you, was it enough that you could basically say, right, this is it, I don't need to work again? Nah, never. Even if I get $100 million, I would never say that. Why? I like working. <laughs> I like being busy. Uh, I I don't like. Uh, I like to have a lot of things on my plate. Mm. Uh, right, you get bored pretty fast, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, I get bored very fast. I I always need to think of of what to do next, and yeah, that that's just a personality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So when when the acquisition had gone through and everything was signed and you were done and you had, you had walked away, you had successfully built this business and food panda had acquired this business and now effectively you were free no i wasn't because in parallel before uh, i already worked on the new uh project on the um, on the application for the apple watch the dating application for the apple watch we haven't so even I talked already, about that <laughs> i already had that in uh i would say like you know hot plate so Exactly. So, okay. Well, I mean, that's the subject for another conversation. We've, we've covered, you know, only half your story really today, I feel. There's so much to do. So please come back on it at some point in the future and share with us an update because I think that, you know, your story as well. I mean, we talked about Impact Tech with Yoav yesterday, but your story, I think there's a lot more to be written. It sounds like, you know, there are, are more projects on the horizon which will come up in the your story, which would love you to come back onto the show and share with us. But it's fascinating what, I mean, what you've done with Singapore Dine and what you've achieved and the challenges that you face. That story, I think, is inspiring for people listening. You know, maybe they're sort of earlier in that stage, in that journey. Maybe somebody's working in a pharmaceutical company looking out the window mm-hmm. thinking, maybe I can do this, right? I mean, is there any – I know it's so different and each of them is individual, but – and you know, because you work in an accelerator, I'm sure you see patterns of entrepreneurs and people ask you for help all the time. Is there any kind of advice that you could offer somebody who's thinking like looking at your story and thinking, yeah, I want to do something like that. So even advice to a younger Kinneret, let's go back 10 years, starting in that journey. Is there anything you would have done differently? I know you would still make the mistakes you made because that's part of your learning process, as you said. But is there anything you would do differently to speed it up or make those mistakes less costly? Uh, so, for, first of all, no, I wouldn't. I always say I always look back and I wouldn't change anything because from everything you learn, so from all the mistakes, for all the journey, I wouldn't change anything. Everything is now, of course. Now I look back and say it's perfect, but uh, 
yeah, along the way you have all these obstacles, and I w- but I wouldn't change anything. Everything taught everything that bad that went taught me something, and everything good taught me something. So and everything sort of is a like a puzzle. And what happened happened, and it brought me to where I am today. And this is why I do what I do today because I. I it's you know you you say inspiring and everything so yeah i try to inspire the startups and with my personal story with my personal journey this is why impact tech sort of happened so we can empower these young startups uh, and help them and make them understand that they can make mistakes and they can do they can have bad days but still the horizon is there and the light is there and if you just believe in yourself you can do anything, really. And, of course, it takes time. And uh, we don't have uh, a lot of these uh, Facebook or Snapchat or Airbnb or Dropbox. But we have other successes. And uh, I think, again, coming from the background that I came and where I grew up and going through the army and all these things in Israel makes you look at things a bit different. And it helps. So we try to help others that don't have it. Well, Kidaret. You certainly have inspired today. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing. Thank you your, very much. Yeah, it's fascinating and inspiration. And I'm sure people want to reach out and connect with you. So before you go, please share with us some link or some place that people can go and find out a bit more about you and your story. Uh, I assume my LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, but... Uh... Just if someone wants to contact me, go to my website of Impact Tech, which is www.impacttech, one word, .co. Uh, and under info or whatever, they can just reach me. And uh, my name, Kineret Karin, there is only one like this. And uh, yeah. Great. Excellent. We'll put all the details in the show notes, Kineret fantastic that you came on the show please come back on at some point in the future and update us if you have more to share in your story that's Kineret Karin everybody she's the co-founder of Impact Tech thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story all the details in the show notes and yes part two coming right up thank you very much you've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com